everyone. Kareem right here. Today we have Chris Keeney, who is the manager, US Pro or AM and league partnership at Capelli Sports. Chris, it's always great speaking with you. Um, and I appreciate Kareem, you. how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, you know, I always appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Good to hang out with you. So, you know, it's probably, you know, way far back in the past, but can you take us back in time and, and share how you got involved in the beautiful game? Oh, wow. So my my entry into the beautiful game came, well, I, I was a soccer player as a young, young lad, uh, but I got into track and that carried me through college. I got to run uh, on a scholarship for Florida State University. And I ran really well for a good four years. Um, when the time was coming for that to end, I remember walking out of a out of the track building, and this was in my senior year. And I thought, and I was watching, looking over the intramural fields out there, and I remember watching a bunch of guys play and going, "I can do that again too. I can run and I can and I can start to play soccer." And so I did. Became reinfected by the game uh, and, and fell in love all over again. Then that became a career path. So uh, in nineteen, I, I was getting uh, my my MBA from George Mason University at the same time Major League Soccer was starting. This is nine. This is ninety five, ninety six. Now uh, the league being opened in ninety six. I called a gentleman named Mark Washoe, who sold me half season tickets to DC United, and at the the time he was, you know, packaging that up for me, which is all I could really afford at that point was half seasons. And I said, uh, "Are you? Do you guys have any internships at DC United?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, send me a resume." And he hung up on me. What I did, followed up. I sent him a resume. That got me in with him. So for about two weeks, I was working for Mark Washer, who's got a storied career of his own. Uh, just kind of making copies and you know doing the things in those days that were necessary to help the ticket sales agent and then at some point the vice president of the company started asking why who's this guy walking in the offices she, no one had been introduced i don't think mark ever asked permission um and then they said oh there's his kids got an mba or almost about to so let's put him on some higher caliber tasks and then went to work for helping the sponsorship guy begin to develop leads and, and so forth. And then uh, that was the end of my internship. I got a role in ticket sales, which I thought would be a temporary thing because I thought ticket sales, nobody wants to be in sales. I want to be in marketing. That was my degree. Um, but in fact, I became a pretty good ticket sales professional and had some good training from some great people. And um did very well within the league because I was always excited. You know, now I'm in the game. I care about it. I want everybody to know about it. I want everybody to attend matches. And this is, again, MLS is, is beginning its rise. You know, when, when, when I think you could still buy in for 10 million. <laughs> um, and it just became, you know, a love affair. So I, I worked for DC United uh, and, and uh, became their director of sales uh, in a course of about, I think it was about eight years. And then I went to Real Salt Lake and became the senior director of sales for Real Salt Lake. Uh, worked there for two years, uh, went over to the Columbus crew. Now I'm the VP of sales. Um, and, and all of these experiences were vastly different in the way that, uh, you know, what the cultures that we had and the environments we had, and the challenges we had. And, um, 
but the, the, so now I'm with the crew crew are a bit of a, a bit of a turnaround situation, but fortunately we had a couple things going for us. We had good people. And we also had the fortune of a, of a championship the year that after I arrived. So that allowed us to, to recalibrate the crew and, and build the, build a fan culture that is now overwhelming today, which is beautiful. Um, and then I got headhunted away to go work for the Houston Texans in the NFL, which I never thought I would work in the NFL, but it was a great opportunity and uh, probably what I would label my PhD in all of this, because that organization is incredible. The people are incredible. Um, I've said before that the only thing they've lacked is a good playoff and potentially Super Bowl run because the because otherwise everybody would know Houston Texans and that's it's not a fault because that's a difficult ask. Um, but man, there was really great talent, still great talent there. Um, then I struck out on my own, started my own company, decided that you know I could be in consulting because I felt like at this point I knew enough and to go help others and kind of explore and do things in a different way. And I moved to Tucson, Arizona. Um, and, uh, with a couple of the guys, you know, started FC Tucson and, and built the MLS preseason, which was really our hook out here. I still live in Tucson and uh, it was the hook of why, you know, FC Tucson could be relevant beyond being a, a PDL slash USL two team at the time. And, you know, we did that for three and a half years. And unfortunately partnerships don't always go the way that you could hope. So I've remained here and have been consulting since. And uh, my daughters and my family love it here. My mom lives out here. My my daughters uh, uh, just my eldest just finished uh, at the University of Arizona, and my uh, younger daughter is in the middle of her uh, campaign for for uh, her college degree. And so it's been a great great life. And then getting a chance to to then take my consulting in different directions, and I've consulted just a myriad of teams at all the levels trying to help them elevate their front office and their, their, their business development ideals and sponsorship and ticket sales and game day, you know, fan experience, et cetera. And, um, COVID comes along, you know, there's a, you know, there's a little bit of stress on everybody. I start networking back to the friends that I've got in this industry and get introduced to Capelli Sport, which is, you know, my primary contract now. And this is a very upstart, innovative, disruptive, you know, company coming into the soccer apparel space and much more than that, but, but primarily that. And, and it's been a blast because Kareem along the way, everything, you know, the, the, the relationships I've been able to build, the people I've been able to enjoy. And that's not, that's not to say that you won't have relationships that you don't enjoy, but, um, it's been terrific and i i i love what has happened to me in my life through the game um that doesn't mean it's been easy doesn't mean it's been everything i expected all the time but it's been fun and i and i and, and i think i'm blessed that way because working in this industry working for a sport that continues to give back first the the joy that we all take out of soccer is is just it's lasting, it's perpetual, and it's deeply meaningful. And I, I'm very, very blessed. Yeah. I mean, you know, I appreciate you sharing your whole experience because it gives me um, context in regards to where you started and where, where you are now. In that regards, 
again, like I always appreciate you taking the time to share this with me because I've learned so much through our conversation. Um, I want to tap into your experience with MLS, NFL. Yeah. Obviously, those are two different sports on the field, but the front office is the same. Um, Experience-wise and what you were able to learn, what, what did you take away from what did you take take away more from the NFL or the MLS? Oh, all of it. I mean, because yeah. it, it, it and just a ton of different things. Because in in the in '96 to say '04, I mean, that was the there were times when everything was upstart, everything was new. I remember calling as a ticket sales agent for DC United, calling people and having to educate, explain that DC United wasn't an airline, wasn't a charity, it was a soccer you know, organization and it was professional. So it wasn't getting your kids to play also um, to the shift of where, you know, there was a time you, you wouldn't remember necessarily, but there was a time MLS almost didn't make it. And we were dusting up our resumes and cleaning them up and getting ready for the next thing. Cause soccer was not going to make it again in professional environment in the United States, but it did thanks to some very ambitious and intentional uh, and wealthy people and and now look at it right so it, so so everything along the way my nfl experience was brief but intense um intense good and bad i mean the stress was high but the opportunity was also high. and i got to also with the texans i got to do cool things like host a george Strait concert and get involved with you know an avp event a, a volleyball event and pga and uh, we also happen to hope, you know, host. Uh, if you get the Mexican national team in Houston, you tend to do well in ticket sales. So, also collaborate with the Houston Dynamo uh, for the MS All Star Game, which happened to be Manchester United, and the stories that came out of that. So, I I've everywhere I've been, I've learned a lot, and I appreciate what I've been you know, taught, and the opportunity to now, you know, share that with other people and and uh, continue to build this game because what's happened in the last 20, 25 years for the sport is incredible, but it's accelerated. And we can see this at all the levels, right? In USL and, 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 and the, the women's, you know, uh, claims to the game and, and the markets that they have. And, and, and what we're going to see is a continued explosion in interest and, and, and team availability. Yeah, huge push on the women's side. 2026 World Cup coming up. Uh, yeah. You all levels are growing. Very exciting. Um, you mentioned ticket sales sponsorships. I, I spoke, I had the opportunity to speak to Fred Mathis. Yeah, Fred Mathis is the guy that Mathis, he, yeah. along with you know, Mark Rosho, hired me at TC. Yeah. Have you had the chance to speak to him ever since? All the time. Oh, he okay. and I are talking all the time. Yeah, so I got I got to learn about ticket sales and um, his ways of going about it and how he's been able to help clubs, so on and so forth. For you, um, and just to add on, ticket sales and sponsorships are two different things. So let's just quickly touch on ticket sales. Um, is it a less stressful and, and strategic process of selling tickets compared to spon like putting sponsorships is a completely different thing, but you're communicating to two different type of uh, people. Well, so so ticket sales and sponsorships separate in the sense that it's more it's more immediate, right? Ticket sales can happen more quickly. I can, you know, you get in contact with you, talk to you about your life and what kind of package is going to be best for you based on your budgets and your timeline and your availabilities and 
and all of those things. So, and it's a more immediate result, but then the dollars aren't. But I would argue that even, you know, you can't really sell a sponsorship well until you've got a, a good following. So mm -hmm. people in the building, and I think this is why soccer is awesome because people in the building, it is social, it is connective. It is, you know, we're all behind this event that's happening on the field that we don't have to decide is important, but that we do decide is important. And that the, you know, that the, the players matter, the team matters, the performance matters, the energy, and, and hopefully a good result that matters to me, wherever I am, whatever location I'm in, that team matters to me. And I having a full capacity is, is paramount. We saw Atlanta United and, and, and uh, for MLS's debut, right? Atlanta United and uh, it was uh, Charlotte had 65,000 fans for their opening nights together. That's amazing, right? This is, you know, the where so we always, as soccer people, we always knew this was possible. We just had to prove it to everybody else. Mm. Um, so I think in ticket sales, it is the most important thing to see butts and seats, fans engaged, and and the and the and the the feelings that we get as humans when those things are working. Um, then the sponsorship sales tend to be a little, you know, it's a little longer, a little, little more drawn out. It's a larger dollar figure, actually, right? Oh, it has to be. Um, but then how you engage a client to get them to see that the assets that you have, the, the, the resources that you have, the attention you're driving in your market is worth bonding onto so that their message can also go through along with them. And soccer fans, uh, I think, you know, have been have been uh, easily identified along with NASCAR fans to be the most devoted to secondary products if they're supporting their sport. So there's a loyalty factor that also plays into this. And so selling overall, selling the game and packaging and commercializing it in a positive way is um, it's been a blast. And, and it, you know, beginning with the tickets and the fans and getting them to, to the butts and seats like the people behind me. And then, you know, and then tying in corporate partners who feel that, see that same vision, get it and want to, you know, tag along, if you will, or, or partner with it so that um, multiple mutual gains can be made. Understood. And uh, last quick question in regards to sponsorship. Um, how long did they usually take to, to get a deal done without an introduction? Oh man. Um, it depends on a lot of things. Like there, there could be sponsorships that, that could happen within, you know, two weeks because all the, all the stars align and everything makes sense. And that partner was already preconditioned probably to, to see the potential and is ready to go. Um, recently had a, recently did a, a very small deal for a, a local organization that it was, yeah, here's here. We'll go ahead and do this. It wasn't, I mean, it was fast as heck, but that's rare. You really do need to be able to find and spend the time to build connections to, to you know, sell yourself, if you will, to, to make people realize that you've got their interest at heart, you love what you're doing, and you want to create that bond and build that, build that, build that, so that you can then make a presentation. You know, there's the discovery phase where you're just meeting people and then getting ideas together, make a presentation, you hone that presentation into something a little more conceptually attractive to the partner, trying to fit in within their budget, obviously trying to push their budget at the same time, they're trying to hold it back. That's the nature of it. 
Um, but eventually coming to an agreement that says that let's do this because and take advantage of the things that the the team resources, whether it's the front of the shirt or digital or 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 signboards or whatever you know whatever those things are going to be experiences. That's I, I'm big into experiences because I think those are more lasting impressions. Um, and then not only getting them into the first sale, Kareem, but then holding on to them, mm. which in the sponsorship world, you know, that if it's an 18 month process down to a two week process, it's about, it's not about the first relationship or the first sale, if you will. It's about building something lasting because it's, it can be very arduous in that effort to get that first deal done. To suddenly let them to let them down and or or not perform and then let them go and have to do it again, that stinks. So it's better to hold on to them tight and and over over deliver right over under promise over deliver so that their experience is excellent and all they want to do is is go bigger. Understood. That makes a lot of sense. Just to quickly tap into something you mentioned, you mentioned with the NFL a lot of stress to and a huge opportunity to gain. Um, can you just share a little bit more about what, what came with the stress, what that was like? Well, um, so the Texans, like I said, are a hugely talented organization with all kinds and pretty much everybody in, in every seat in that house is marvelous and talented and skilled. There's a lot, you know, but there's a lot of stake because those owners are in, in that the amount of money that the, the NFL produces you set goals, you have to hit them. The, the owners, the, uh, so I would say the stress is in that you must perform. There are no really days where you can kind of slack one day or another, you know, a couple of days. Um, so I think there is stress, but with stress, you know, stress creates diamonds. We've all heard that idea. And, and, and those that, um, and I, I got to think of, of, of several people at the Texans that are still there and just dominate their space. Um, but using the stress as an opportunity, because you have so much, I mean, let's, let's be honest. The NFL is the NFL. People drool for it. People are hungry for it all the time. So it's, it's optimizing. It's taking that, it's finding ways to make another dollar in that space that hasn't been done before. And whether that's fan engagement, the Texans, despite not having won nearly enough to where we, you know, any Texans fan would be satisfied. One of the things they do really well is they have, you know, consistently the best tailgate mm. and they're judged by, you know, whoever makes those decisions as having great, great tailgate experiences. Well, what does that do? That helps you outlast seasons that maybe aren't ideal on, on the field, you know, an eight and eight season or eight, nine, I guess now with the 17 game, you know, you can still endure that if, if fans are still socializing, falling in love with it. So that's something that, that, that organization made a priority and it's, they kill it today. So mm. stress, but opportunity equals, you know, great days and <laughs> And sometimes some painful days because it's it's intense. Understood. How many years did you get to, get to build up your your resume, your track record, your career before you went into ownership? Ah, uh, so I so I went into ownership right following um, the Texans. So let me think about that. So that was so ninety six is when I you know got my feet wet as an intern, and and then it was twenty. 
2010 yeah so how many years is that that's that's a lot <laughs> yeah um you know so that's many years to kind of build a comfort level and i the funny thing for him is i i still don't feel entirely comfortable um I am now 52 years old and a word to the wise that anybody who's younger, it's still hard. It's still, you don't reach a point where you, you suddenly know everything. You're just doing better with what you've gained, hopefully. Right. But my, my 80 year old mother will say that too, that I still don't know everything. So the struggle continues, but if you are optimized on, on what you want to do and why you want to do and, and, and are doing it from a joyful heart, you'll be more successful than not because every day, you know, as a human, we all go through ups and downs, which it's inevitable, but um, you control what you can control and you emphasize what you can emphasize and you learn and you keep relearning. And that's kind of the, the human status. And in our, in our industry, it's, it is, we're fortunate to have this game be the, the linchpin because um, there's a lot of things people can do and, and could be even more lucrative than this sort of thing. But I, I can say that I am rich in, uh, in, in my spirit, in my heart of what I get to do. And that, that, is, you know, that is a gift that I don't think gets enough attention. Yeah, it's huge. I, I, you know, I don't want to tap too much into it, but I was just listening to a video where Actually, I'll leave it for offline. But yeah, I agree with you 100%. You got to be fulfilled inside. I agree. Um, yes, it's critical. Yeah. Um, I want to ask questions about numbers. If, um, sure. if you, you know, if they're, if they can't be answered, it's fine. Um, so you got in the year of 2010 into USL? Into ownership, yes. So if you don't mind me asking, um, what was the franchise fee at that time? and required i know i signed an nda i don't know if it still matters anymore um well, i'm not trying to cross it <laughs> <line. laughs> yeah I, uh, it was so that was when usl2 was pdl still called it pdl i think it was mid five figures right to get started and then but then the operation costs at that time were probably for a usl2 team the challenge with any team but especially trying to play it at a national landscape is travel number one pain in the butt and the more that any any and all of these leagues can you know regionalize and limit travel it's it's a lower divisions still claim to be national still give you an opportunity to win a national title but lower your cost because you're playing enough people in in our case california arizona new mexico colorado the challenge for the West is that there's just not as many populated cities. So it was always more expensive for FC Tucson in its travel budget. And that's something we had to overcome, whether it's through ticket sales or sponsorship. So, but the burden is heavier. Um, uh, man, I think we tried to operate, you know, $150,000 annually, which was not a lot. It's not a lot of money in, the, in that scope. But we also had very limited opportunities to sell games because I think we hosted seven or eight home games in the regular season. And maybe we, because we were who we were, we, we could also try to get, you know, uh, bonus games. We brought Chivas's, or excuse me, yeah, Chivas Guadalajara's uh, U20 team up once. And there's all kinds of extra things you can try to add into the mix 
but again, caught risk versus reward. Um, and then trying to get to a season ticket base that would, you know, hopefully offset a huge amount of that and then overwhelm it with sponsorship because that's the math, right? You know what your costs are going to be. You try to hold those down or try to in a way that is not negative towards the impact on the people involved, but but hold the cost down as much as possible and then um, try to offset that with you know, ticket sales, sponsorship sales. And in our case, we did grow into concession sales so was, and merch. Um, but if you could get to break even or $1 more or 20,000 more or 120,000 more, that's how you do it. And I think, you know, for anyone who's considering investing in a team in the modern era, you don't look at it like, like you look at a stock or, or you don't like say, well, I'm going to get, you know, I need my eight and a half percent return on this investment annually. It's not going to work like that. In fact, it could be a loss for many years if, if things don't go as ideally as you hope. Um, I think if that's the, if you, if that's the way you're looking at it, don't do it. If you say I'm doing this because it's going to make my society better, my community better, it's going to make myself better. And it thrills me. And I want to not lose money totally, but I will also look almost operate like a 501c3, you know, organization at first, because that way you're trying to get to break even. You're always trying to report to break even. And then you're in a really healthy state, especially at these lower division levels. Then, of course, you know that's in, say let's say that's the first five years. Let's let's try to let's try not to lose any money, but keep, whatever money we do make, keep reinvesting it in the club. So rather than putting, you know, oh now we can do a higher uh, uh, for the owners to take a little bit of a cut. That's not right. They should keep reinvesting it. So they can make the fan experience better or at a particular level, maybe they can afford to hire one more player that maybe makes the difference. And even I don't think winning a championship at the lower levels is the most critical thing. I think it's just competing with an energy and a joy and um, a commitment to the fan that is easily seen because we got to be honest. We had the players that will sign at the levels, you know, the lower levels. You may not, you may not have heard of. You probably haven't heard of. If they're local, that's a nice plus. But even then, you don't know. So if you can get those young you know, men or women who are your players to be locally engaging and and, and passionate and celebrate the goals, you know, I I was always a big believer in getting yellow cards for goals and because for goal celebrations to say. Because I didn't this thing it makes any sense in the way that we're trying to build the game that as long as you're not taunting, what's the harm in celebrating a goal? And if the league doesn't seem to understand that, a goal and when you win three two in the ninety-fourth minute and everybody goes berserk, take your shirt off, we'll pay the fine. I mean, come on. And <laughs> uh, that was a that was a kind of a battle that you'd always have with your league coordinators, but um everything in its balance but um but i certainly think that that any community and you we're seeing it because they're popping up everywhere but every community deserves a club fall in love with the club become passionate about it for a lifetime and and um knowing that joy can be you know shared generation um that's what we're seeing in mls now because those season tickets are hard to come by and 
they're being regifted in you know in 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 the state you know state planning and stuff. So wow, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Wow, uh, I apologize for the timer there. I don't pay for Zoom, so they're trying to kick us out. Um, okay, no problem, man. Um, at, when this cuts out, can I send you another link to continue going? Sure. Um. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They, soccer is popping up in a lot of communities now, and I, it, I feel like my prediction of the projections of the U.S. is we're leading towards England. Obviously, like we're far away ahead, but that's what it looks like. It's turning into the U.S. for for soccer in the U.S. Yeah, there was an article I just saw somewhere that talked about how the English, the, the the hidden English fans that are in favor of MLS, and I, you know. I've had many discussions with what I would call the Euro snobs of, you know, well, you're not, you know, you're not playing at the highest level and you're not, you're not, um, I would feel frustrated at times because, you know, they would say, they would look at the limitations rather than the opportunity, right? Okay. We didn't, we didn't, at least at this point, we don't have Messi or never had Messi, but we've had some incredible players and American players and, and, and international players and, and I don't think you're ever going – the argument I would make with them is that well, all the complaint – two things. All the complaining that you can make about what you don't like about Major League Soccer or its lower divisions in USL and otherwise, um, unless you're investing in a ticket, what right do you have – do you have to complain? And when is it going to get better if you don't invest? So – Tell me how you want all these terrific players and you want your MLS club to compete for those same players that Liverpool and, and Real Madrid and Barcelona and, and, and Man U, they are all competing for those best players. We will get there. We are Americans. We always get there. But it comes with some investment. Don't expect it just to be turnkey because you want it that way. Put your heart and soul into it. So you should be a Liverpool fan or whatever, you know, international club you want to be, but you should also equally invest your time and soul into the local team. That way you'll end you, whether it's in this generation right now or the next or however long it takes, but you know, they've had a hundred years, we're catching up quick and it won't be long. I mean, honestly, in the next 20 years, it won't be long to MLS is fronting the same kind of money that that it's going to take to get that 25 year old superstar that everybody else wants to um and we're you know we'll see if inter miami can can end up with getting messy here in june or not the saudis are pretty excited too they have a lot of money. yeah so i think Messi's going to decide what's the priority for him we saw what the priority for uh for Nalto was. yeah so do you see the same for Messi? I think not down that way or I've always been a great bigger Messi fan than Ronaldo, not because they're they're both brilliant players, but I just have liked I I like Messi's soul a little bit better. And I think that's harsh. I mean it but it feels like Ronaldo's about Ronaldo, whereas Messi's about Argentina. And or his club. I feel like he celebrates everything with his players where I feel like Ronaldo celebrates himself. And I think I, I I don't know. You know the, the dollars are enormous, but he's already got enormous dollars. So what would be the better thing? I don't know. It's hard, and I'm not in his head. Can't be. 
But I would like to think that you got a better shot at getting Messi here for the same reason that we got David Beckham here. Because David wasn't about David. Even though he could have been, he was about his teammates. Always about his teammates. And then his national team. And, and that's, a, that's the right way to do this. Understood. What, what, what do you see that effect happening if Messi does come to the U.S.? I think you'll get another, re, you know, like the Beckham effect that, that made such a difference in that era. Um, you'd get it all over again because people will flock to see him. Um, and he's been super fortunate. God, you know, knock on wood that, you know, he's avoided major injury and he's just fit as hell. And even at his age can still perform. Um, I, I, if he would come, I, it would be amazing because I know he played with joy in his heart. That's always the risk that you run signing an older player where are they in their head in their heart do they still want to play do they still want to compete do they still want to entertain um and see how they're impacting the 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 humans that are coming to pay to watch them um if you get that combination right then it can be spectacular it's we've seen an mls sign you know mls sign guys who didn't show that joy or that heart and it generally failed so um, but I think Messi would be another boon right before 20, you know, if we could get him, I guess next year and then 20, then you've got two years to play before 2026 and then it explodes here, uh, and all over North America, that's going to be like a nuke and it's in, in a good way. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, the impact, right? Uh, huge. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to. So with FC Tucson, am I, did I say that right? FC Tucson? FC Tucson, yeah. FC, FC Tucson. Okay, so, so with FC Tucson, um, how involved was USL in, in helping you guys get the projects off the ground? Yeah, um, they have, you know, USL has a pretty, not everybody loves how they do it, but they, what they do is good. Um, and we had a gentleman by the name of Stephen Short, who is now over at, with Lexington, the, the Lexington Pro Club, who was who was a great friend and, and, a, and a really good advisor. And he guided us through everything. Um, they, you know, they provide club, what they call club services. Stephen's role was to get us onboarded. And then club services was then, you know, helped, um, helped its club member clubs understand his practices better and tried to gather information, share best practices, uh, um, communicate and coordinate so that the clubs weren't entirely on their own and figuring it out because ownership can be vastly different in their, certainly in their experience. And a lot of times ownership really has zero experience in operations. So then the next thing they have to do right is hire, if that's the case and they need to hire well, and hire people who are capable in the various roles, whether it's a you know, a, you know, from a president down to a, a chief ticketing officer or a chief sales officer, a sponsorship sales person, activation team to support that person, uh, ticket sales team. Uh, I, I have found over the years that a lot of organ, a lot of lower division clubs don't hire enough salespeople, and they look at the the salesperson as a line item. In an accounting term, like the, a cost, foolish. It's an investment. This person should make a ton more money 
than what they're going to cost, even if you're giving them a, a very nice starting plus incentives. Um, they should be able to outkick that by a bunch. So why would you ever limit that? Why would you ever look at that like a line item of cost? But accountants, you know, if, if you're if the 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 owner comes from an accounting background or has accountants, that that's how they do it because they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you you still even if you hire a guy and he makes only as much as he made, then it would be zeroed out. That's it's not ideal. But it's you didn't lose money, so you want to hire as many people as it takes to get your building full or to get your uh, corporate sponsorship partners built out, and then serve them. Don't forget the service has to happen after the sale. So you you want a good infrastructure of those types of people. Um, so often a flaw in the the lower level design is a lack of of spend in the sales you know, area sales and service areas. Um, but you want talented people throughout and give them all the tools and the resource and the communications and in the especially in the modern era. We've got Slack and we've got all these different ways that we can now communicate with one another on projects. Um, and then, you know, stick with them, empower them, build them up, ask them when they're having a tough day, be sensitive because everybody, you know, some days are good, some days are bad. Sometimes you get the sale, sometimes you don't. Um, but it's okay. As long as and as long as that person is properly encouraged, which includes a financial investment, but that's not the only thing. Properly encouraged means that they feel like they're in an environment they can thrive as people, as mm-hmm. professionals, that you you know, if you're investing in them to become smarter in their business. Um, I put a lot of time and effort into my own post education, education, you know, I would go, especially when I was trying to become a better manager, you think that an MBA just means you're a great manager. It does not. Mm-hmm. That just means you, you, you completed a lot of projects and you did some things and you, and you learned something that you could now use to hone to the next level. Um, management's a challenge, for, you know, not a challenge in the sense that I didn't have the capacity, but I needed to learn how to better relate to people. And, you know, there's a, it's old school, but there's a fantastic book called The One Minute Manager. One Minute Manager, and in this a simple product of that, or a simple statement within that, is praise in public, criticize in private. Law and a lot of people screw that up, Kareem. They they get loud and and they break people down in front of other people rather than closing the door, taking the time, saying, "Hey, there's ways that we we need you to improve." But the egos tend to get in the way, if, especially if it's a bad environment. And I have been part of a you know a bad environment where that was happening in front of me daily, and it's horrible. And of course, thankfully, that owner is no longer involved in the game. Um, but it can't be like that. So you need to you need to build people up to perform. No, no different from having a good soccer team, right? What the coach is asking for his team to perform on the field, you're asking for your front off to perform in those you know in those corridors and in that in that environment and so you need good coaches and people that are compassionate and care who know how to be critical at the right times who also know how to be friendly at the right times and more friendly than critical but yeah i had to learn all of that and reinvest in myself in that in some ways because um, of what i wanted to achieve and uh, 
feel like at this point, after a lot, you know, a lot of learning, a lot of mistakes made, and 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 uh, experiences had, that I feel like I can go into most arenas now and 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 do it the way that it should be done. Understood. Yeah. What would you say the hardest thing for you um, in regards to learning how to uh, manage was to learn? Um, stopping to listen, Kareem. This is, you know, it's a curse of many. It's a curse of mine. I, I often think that I have the answer right away and I think, and I'm, and I, I enjoy that. I like, I like solving problems, but it's not always about solving problems. Sometimes it's about just purely listening and then allowing that person to come up with their own solution, not dissimilar to the way that therapy works for people, right? Good therapist doesn't tell you what to do. They invite you to figure it out with them. Mm. Right. No, it, 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 and you know, we can be told what to do and it might be the purely right answer, but I think, but, but it's better to have that person come to the conclusion on their own through good guidance. And so the only way that's going to happen is listening. So I was not a great listener in my early days. And I think my wife would testify that I'm not a great listener all the time either now. Um, but I'm trying, try to listen better to focus in and, and absorb the information and then before necessarily providing a an answer or a fix, more collaborative, right? You know, what 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 options do we have? That's always a great question in management. Well, you've explained the problem to me. So what options do we have? Before saying, well, this is what I want done. That's that's weak, right? Tell me what can we do? And then if they don't have the idea that you have, you can say, well, have you considered this? Would that help this situation? You, you know, but get that person to, to jump into that part of it instead of just being wanted to be directed. Um, yeah. That I would offer is leadership more than even management. You know, you don't, you want leadership, uh, not, you want good leaders, not necessarily good managers. Yeah, that's a good perspective. It's a great perspective, actually. That's a lot of experience that I've had with my uh, my mentor, and it's it's helped me tremendously. So I agree. Um, yeah, that's awesome. It's great that you have mentors because mentors in our lives are absolutely imperative because we're never good enough. So we always need someone else to to fact check or gut check or whatever, or, or be critical at a time when you know that you need it. So that's good. I'm glad you to hear you say you have mentors. Thank you. Um, so you guys started with the club in USL two and then went to USL one. Well, I was not part of the organization when that happened, so I had already left the organization when it finally did reach uh, League One. I that was the ambition the whole time was to go pro, um, but unfortunately, I did not get to experience that. Um, and then you know, my partners, the partners that remained, were actually sort of short lived because when it went League One. It was sold to uh, Phoenix Rising of the championship level, and that was intended to be their feeder team. Mm. Um, I think you know I, that's ambitious and it's difficult because they're you know Phoenix Rising has to be the central focus and and building its own experience, its own culture, its own fan base, its own everything. And I think having a secondary team in Tucson made sense in concept because you could say, well, players can come and go and we can optimize sponsorship sales because there'll be a lot of comp companies in Arizona that work in both Tucson and Phoenix, but it's also expensive and there's a lot of pressure. 
Um, and it's, and, and things are just different. Um, so that, that has changed, uh, uh, Brett Johnson recently who, who owns Ipswich town and he owns, um, uh, Rhode Island football club. And that's a brand new upstart in USL championship and should be wildly successful. He's building a stadium out in Rhode Island. It's, it's if, if anybody is listening to this and hasn't seen the renderings, please check it out because it's gorgeous. Um, but I, he ended up having to sell out of FC Tucson so he could be focused on on it. And so one of my former partners, um, John Perlman, has re-inherited the club. And it's, it's dropped back to USL2 out of the sake of efficiency and survive, survival. Um, and I am hopeful for John that he can he can turn that in. And, and he's got a new partner and a guy named Jeff Arnold. But hopefully the two of them can take it uh, where it needs to be because Tucson is a great city and deserves high level everything. Um, and, but again, it proves it's not necessarily easy. The Atlanta Uniteds of the world are, are, are it's not always that easy or what seems that easy. Understood. Just a quick question in regards to USO. Did they provide you guys with the systems to operate the club or did you yeah. get yeah, yeah. I mean, now we we're fortunate because I came from all of that, right? So I knew what I felt we needed at the level that we needed it. So I came in with quite a bit of experience in front office build. Um, but that said, they do they do provide you know their insights and best practices, as I said, on what the the, the say the newbie owner should do. Um, it's always there's a gentleman named Marcus Myrick over at USL. Um, he also be a good interview for you. He he. He's a great soul, great guy, and he does a lot of that work along with a gentleman named John Colchel. And they're trying to get the teams that that are you know either on board already to do better, or the ones they're bringing into the organization now and becoming new franchises to try to hit it off from the beginning. And I think the challenge for them is not the ideas themselves; it's raising the importance of their ideas and getting new owners to to stop and listen to them because it's a rush. As soon as you sign, it's a rush. You know, you're, you're running at full speed. And usually, you know, they don't, the owners don't give themselves enough time to properly ramp up, which that's always baffled. I think in a perfect scenario, it's always, you know, two years, you know, you can do well with 18 months and you can make a go with one year, six months pain. So, so why not give yourself the proper run? to debut with a good two-year run, you know, start. That that's how I like to do it. I just said I want to be um respectful of your time. I know we're coming up on seven minutes here. So I'll just wrap it up. Um in regards, so you guys were in USL two. So you guys had the USL two club. Um mm -hmm. and then did you guys have also build up an academy? So from like we at the time we had not uh, that there is now a youth FC Tucson uh, youth affiliation, uh, but it's not owned by FC Tucson. So it's still its own organization, own youth organization. But they wear the brand and they wear the shield. So and and of course that that would hopefully make the kids feel more compelled and want to see the team play and all of that. Um, Obviously, if you can build a pyramid and then you everything from the base all the way up, I think generally that helps the organization. But that creates more risk, creates more voices and opinions about how things get done. Um, 
certainly some organizations do it tremendously and some do not. Um, but having a good, you know, if, if you, and it's, and it's all about the intent. If the intent, Kareem, is purely, I said this earlier, if, it, if it's to make money, this is purely to make money, then it is the wrong investment. If it is to do better by society, by community, by, by people, and then, you know, commercialize that well enough to break even and then grow, fantastic. If you're doing this because hopefully you, you, you think that, um, you know, it's going to be fun to hang around with Ryan Reynolds and, 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 and drive nice cars and, and God bless what Rexham's doing. It's fantastic. But, 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 but being celebrity-esque is the wrong reason to do this. It's for the greater good of everybody in your town and everybody in your community. And then if that is honest and genuine and authentic, chances are they will, those people will reinvest in you and that club through tickets, through sponsorships, through all those methodologies that create money so that it is sustainable. And then can grow from there. And then, at, you know, after a good 10-year ownership, 15-year ownership, 20-year if you don't leave it to your children, you can sell it. And it will be worth a lot more than, than it was when it first started. And MLS proves that. So does USL. Um, you just should be more patient with it than, than sometimes people get into this. Understood. So... So I'm um, okay. So where did in regards to like revenue, where did the revenue come from when you guys were running the club? So you guys had sponsorship, ticket sales, but you guys didn't have any grassroots. So what were the? Well, um, so the, the 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 key areas of any club's revenues in is four, right? In in and not everybody gets to get a take advantage of all four, but ticket sales surely, sponsorship surely, concessions hopefully, merchandise surely early those that and, and concessions isn't a lot of money often unless you own the building it really the reason that usl uh and all the leagues really hope that the ownership will invest in stadiums is because then it becomes every dollar becomes vertical you're not renting right you're not giving your money to another organization you're able to and if you own the building not only do you have your let's say 30 soccer matches a year and that could be more if you have a women's team, et cetera. But you can also start to look at concerts or lacrosse events or or other things that make the make it profitable to own that stadium. The upfront investment is awfully off is very high, although there's a company out of Canada that there's several companies that do modular stadiums, but the one I've been sort of impressed with lately uh, is out of Canada. This gentleman by the name of Rob Friend, who is perpetuating this company and they seem to have I, i'm interested in learning more because they seem to have their story straight but um if you can own it then you can monetize it right and that's you know you can name the stadium well if you can get a stadium naming rights in the modern era well that's a lot of money no matter what level you are that might solve the problem that might solve that initial problem of let's be break even at least now we can operate with some with without pain we can invest we can afford to treat the players better. We can afford that extra day with the AT or whatever and or invest in the fan experience so that they want to spend more and and make it symbiotic. Um, and I think that's that's how it has to be. And that's how it properly is. And if you look at all the great clubs around the world that are 
uh, and it gets chaotic, I suppose, at the EPL levels of how money gets spent. And sometimes they're not always honest, apparently, in EPL or the Spanish League. Um, but generally speaking, it becomes symbiotic and it becomes relational. That's what you want. Brandon. You want your team to be relationally built with its its fan base, mm. not transactional. Transaction means I got to get you to buy something. Relational means you want to buy something, right? And and I'm giving you a ton of value in return. So that's how it, it would be done best at any. Understood. Um, I'll keep this to the last question, and then I'll, I just want to dive into the speed questions really quickly. Um, Oh, sure. So, Chris, would you say that having grassroots is like, so operating a pro club, right? Mm -hmm. Necessarily need grassroots or an academy system? Not necessarily. Could it, it depends on the community. It depends on the situation. Now, here's an example. Like, so if you go into a brand new market and, but youth soccer is well established and you start an academy, who are you going to piss off? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. What you can alienate the crowd before you even get started opening your hand to them. And that was an experience we had with the crew, you know, where the academy was first built. And I recall having to do a lot of damage control, trying to get people to get the clubs to reinvest and bring their kids out for group nights or season tickets, et cetera. But they were already a little jaded because we might have taken their best player. Now, ultimately, is it probably the right thing for that kid? Probably. Right, given the environment that they could we could create, but you got to do that gracefully. And so, um, it might make sense to to have an academy and start. It might make sense to not do that at all, or be patient and build it over time after you've established trust. But I would say that I would rather be agnostic to all the clubs in the area, not get into youth soccer if it meant that I might damage my priorities, which is season tickets, sponsorships, concessions, and merch, mm. right? So I don't want anybody to not like me from the beginning um, and try to avoid that at all you know, cost. But then it does make sense. I mean, there's another revenue stream that's there that could be useful to the club and you've got your you know, pathway to pro and all that stuff, but it's it depends. I guess that's the best answer. It just depends on the environment and the market that you're in, whether it's a good idea or not. But but I would say go in uh, eyes wide open and cautiously because you can certainly tick a lot of people off in this very small community that are essential if you just kind of don't ask questions or listen. Understood. I'll make this the last question. Um, how did you guys select the market that you guys were going into? Um, and how did how involved was USO in that process? Well, so the gentlemen here in Tucson were already they had already done they already had a team. It was an independent team called FC Tucson, and they already had done uh, a one-off match between down here. Really, our key to success wasn't the PDL team; it was that we could do MLS preseason. And they had done a match where Sporting Kansas City played the Red Bulls at a baseball stadium, and they they coordinated that. That's how I got to notice. And then I, I contacted them and said, that was really cool what you did. We can do more because I have relationships that can elevate that. Now, that's a, simplest, that's a simple way to describe it, but that's what we did. So our real claim to fame was MLS preseason in the Western Conference because it didn't, it didn't exist and it was needed. These teams 
you know, Kansas City, for example, it, any team, you know, that's not Los Angeles or Florida needed to get out of the weather. Tucson's perfect, right? And spring training baseball is already the, it's already been done in that sport. Easily, con easy concept to reproduce. So we did really well with that for a time. Um, and then that allowed us to, to draw more attention to our team, our club, because our team always played in the event. And, you know, we could start to say to the players that were associated, even at the, the PDL or the USL2 level, which that's college age kids, generally speaking, or players that are out of contract, but not professional at this point, to give them opportunity to be seen. And that happened. That happened not only for players, it happened for staff. There's a gentleman back at USL um, named Liam, who who is now their head of their academy division. And Liam's, I first met Liam when he was a, you know, an intern kid for FC Tucson, and now he's super important at at uh, USL. So it's it, and he got to and he got there by way of Kansas City because Kansas Sporting Kansas City really liked him and hired him to do work for them. So. Whether a player, whether an executive, you know, it's it's good to be that kind of springboard. We were that for a time. So, wow, it's amazing. Okay, leading to the fun questions, uh, just short ones, five quick ones. Who was your favorite U.S. soccer team? What era? Like what year? Or like right now, today? Oh, oh, oh like an MLS team or something. Yeah, any USL. Any team. What's my favorite team? I, you know, it's the team that I'm working for usually. I, my allegiances have been. So I've worked for DC United, Real Salt Lake, Columbus Crew, and I've had my own team in FC Tucson. And then I've been, you know, consulting a lot of other teams. And when you're consulting, you want them to win as well. And, and so I am loyal as heck to the team that I am working for however as a purely independent guy right now it would probably still be dc right because we we really had a special thing at dc united in that era which again my era was 96 to 04 was my length of term there but but there were so many cool people and you know kevin payne just passed away this you know not very long ago and he was the architect of of the reason we did well uh, a lot of things came through him and, and guys like Steve and Zach and Fred Mathis and Mark Washoe and all of these people that, that, that and Michael Hitchcock and I could keep going that, that just keep that made that culture great. There is one guy who still survives today. His name is Dan Giffen, still in ticket sales, still crushing it. I made the point to him the other day, which I'm sure he had thought of, but he's probably, I guarantee he sold more tickets in MLS than any other human because he, that's, that's what he has done ever since he and I started and he stayed loyal to DC United. So I guess to answer your question, black and red, <laughs> still bleed black and red. If, if I'm, if I really, really think about it. Got it. Who's your favorite soccer player? Ooh, I've got a chance to meet a lot of cool people. Andy Williams and uh, Eddie Pope and you know, American, you know, guys and uh, Nick Romando. And I mean, everywhere I've been, I've had great relationships with great players in the U.S. culture. Um, I think if you just said, who do you think is the best of all time and, and is worthy of that title? Starts with Pelé, but oh man, Messi. Love love the way he plays and the way he associates with his teammates. So that of greatest of all time, that would be my choice probably. I'd say hard for me to bail on Pele, but 
I'll say Messi. And then thank you, title, right? Thank you, Argentina. Um, oh, man, I've got so many names that I could drop for just friends that from the U.S. game and MLS days. But, um, you know, I am a big American soccer fan first. So I want the national team to just be the best all the time. And um, I, I, I'm in pain when they're in pain type thing. I don't know. I've, I've mentioned some good names there. I, that's, you know, I, I could probably, I could spend another 20 minutes rallying off, but uh, those guys I mentioned, you know, among, among many are, are some, are, I'm real big fans of. Got it. I won't ask you Messi or Ronaldo because I know you're on the Messi. I just did that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I won't ask you that. That's easy, man. Messi. Um, favorite food? Man, I love sushi. Um, I think probably if I if you said you can't eat anything else, it's probably sushi. Uh, and imagine the environmentalists don't like that a lot, but um, man, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the last one, who's your favorite artist musically? Oh, I've got a. I'm very eclectic. Um, I love The Cure and Depeche. But this is all old school stuff, right? Depeche Mode and New Order. Prince is probably the best. Not even probably is the best and is the most impactful on me, though. I mean, if you just again, if you said you can only have one music source from now on, it's Prince. Got it. Okay. I I don't listen to any Prince, so. What? I, I got to check them you out. You are missing out. Check it out. <laughs> you have to. You are. You know what? I would say you're screwing up. Actually, you're. You got to get into Prince. I'm gonna check it out after this. Okay. Chris, it's always a pleasure. That disturbs me that you, at your age, you you know, still don't fall back into that because talk about legend um, that transcends. I got to check it out. I got to check it out. I'll, I'll send you some YouTube. Send it to me. I, you know, at least I know Michael Jackson, right? But yeah. Oh, and that, that those were two, but Prince, Prince was just better. Uh, he was definitely more uh, talented hard to say but like pure talent and he could play any instrument he did everything himself he was fantastic and when he died in 2016 that really sucked well chris it's always a pleasure to speak with you i always appreciate you taking the time yeah man thanks to get to know you kareem